scripture reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Mark records, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, for some of you, uh, you saw the children you know, bring in these palm branches. And you've seen them do that for decades. You've been involved with Palm Sunday services. And, and so you're familiar with this Sunday that we refer to as Palm Sunday. Now for others of you, this may be the first time that you've seen children bring in palm branches. And your first thought may have been, these kids just tore off some branches from a church plant. And now they're making a beeline down the aisle. You know, you didn't know what was happening. But, you know, whether, whether the palm branches that you witnessed coming down the aisle, maybe it was your first time or maybe you've seen it several times. You know, if we're going to understand the significance of the triumphal entry, if we're going to understand the significance of Palm Sunday in this passage in Mark chapter 11, then we're going to have to uh, uh, kind of zoom out. If we're going to understand the event and how it applies to us, we're going to have to zoom out. We're going to have to put on that you know, wide-angle lens on the camera of our minds in order to kind of pan out to understand what was really happening that day and the significance of that event. We're going to have to go back before Jesus was born. We're going to have to go back before Roman occupation. Uh, We're going to have to go back before Jerusalem was a city, before the prophets, before the priests, before the kings, uh, before the different languages of the world were formed, before people themselves were formed. In other words, we need to zoom far enough back and far enough out so that we can see, okay, what is God's plan for the world? In other words... We need to ask, what is God seeking to accomplish? And once we see the big picture, then we can zoom in on this event in Mark chapter 11 and understand the significance. So so when you zoom out and you take in the whole of redemptive history, all of the history of mankind and creation, when you zoom out, what do you see? what, What is God doing? And I think you see four major truths that really speak to what is happening specifically in this passage and what God is doing. And these four truths, I think, help us to uh, understand what was going on in Mark 11. The first truth, and this may seem kind of basic to us, especially if you've gathered here at the Hill Baptist Church on Palm Sunday. But the first truth is that there is a God. You know, if there is no God then Mark chapter 11 really isn't worth discussing. 
It surely isn't worth you sitting in here for 30 minutes and hearing me talk about it. Uh, so, if you don't believe there's a God, then what you need to do is you, gotta, you, you have to continue to zoom out. You have to continue to zoom out and figure out, okay, how am I going to make sense of the world? And how am I going to figure out why we're here and what the purpose of life is? And so you're going to have to zoom out and do your own investigation. But, but I believe that the reason that there is something rather than nothing is because of God. You know, God created all things, and the Bible tells us that not only did God create all things, but He loves His creation. So God is a personal and loving God. The second truth that we see throughout Scripture is that God is building a kingdom. And this is the language that's often used, especially in Jesus' teaching, that God is, He is building a kingdom. You know, when God made man and woman, the Bible tells us that He made them in His image. And we are the only created things in all of creation that is said that is made in God's image. And so God is building a kingdom of people who will image Him, mirror Him, represent Him in His creation. And this is why God tells the first man and the first woman, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the world with people. That share that same mark of his image. Your God wants this kingdom filled with his image bearers. God's plan is to see the earth filled with people who will treat one another and all of creation in such a way that it showcases who God is. This is the kingdom God is building. And so as life is lived and, and resources are used according to God's design... The creation flourishes. That's, that's the intent. That's the design. And this is the type of kingdom that God is building. However, we read in Genesis 3, for those who are familiar with the book of Genesis, that both man and woman made a decision to turn away from God and His plan. So they didn't want to go along with what God had in mind. And this whole idea of creating people with the ability to choose to obey or disobey God was all part of God's plan. In other words, you're not a robot, I'm not a robot. You know, God wants people in His kingdom that want to be there. And so, you may look at this and say, you know, this kind of looks like a, uh, a kind of a hiccup in God's plan. This, this looks like a, an error that's taken place. And in fact, it was sin, but it's all in God's plan. It doesn't affect His plan to build a kingdom. And so what we see in Genesis 3, what's happening is you have man and woman deciding to go their own way. And just like with any kingdom or any community, when you have treason, you know, when you have someone rise up against the rightful ruler, it produces a fracturing in that kingdom or community. No matter what type of kingdom or community it may be, it affects the shalom, the, the peace of the kingdom. And this, this fracturing, this brokenness is what we see in the world today because of our unwillingness to follow God. And the Bible calls that sin. You know, sin is trying to be the king of your own kingdom and not submitting to God as king of creation. That's what sin looks like. But what we may look at as a setback to God's plan to build a kingdom actually doesn't alter God's plan at all. So even though we have sinned, God is still fulfilling His plan and has been fulfilling His plan to build a kingdom of people that will love Him 
that will love each other and live out His ways in creation. That's God's plan. But the question is, you know, how will God, how will God make a path of citizenship into His kingdom for those of us who are in sin and have chosen to go our own way? How will He bring us in once we have decided to leave? And the Bible tells us, and what it says is that we need a mediator. And this is what we see all throughout history, all throughout the Old Testament. We need this mediator, someone who can bridge the gap between God, a holy and perfect God, and those of us who have gone our own way. And this mediator is the one who can deliver us from our path of sin and separation from God. And this mediatorial role is foreshadowed in all the Old Testament as you read through it. Even in Genesis 3, God says that the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. And so this is the first glimpse that God is going to make a way for even those who have chosen to go their own way to come to God if they want to. So the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. This is one of the first glimpses of God's promise for a solution that we see. And then God continually builds this kingdom throughout history and is continuing to do it now and provide a path for people like me and you to belong to that kingdom. He foreshadows the path all throughout the Old Testament through three primary offices, prophet, priest, and king. And we see different people functioning in those roles to help be that mediating force to help people know God, uh, enter a relationship with God, experience the rule of God. And we see that all throughout history, all throughout the Old Testament. So all throughout the Old Testament, we see this this foreshadowing of the mediator that will come, that will be the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. Who will take on all of those roles perfectly. And so this mediator, this Messiah, as he's referred to in the Old Testament, this deliverer, would make the way permanent for us. To enter and to enjoy the kingdom of God. And so as we move into the New Testament, we see that this mediator, the Messiah, this deliverer, is Jesus. And so you see God's plan. He's making a people for himself. That continues through the Old Testament. And then it climaxes in the person of of Christ. That he is the perfect deliverer. He is the perfect prophet, priest, and king. So he's the one who's going to kind of make this concrete. He's going to fulfill all that was building up in the Old Testament and take on this role of king of the kingdom that will uh, make the way permanent for us who have been separated from God because of our sin to enter into a relationship with God, the kingdom of God forever. And so this is the third truth that Jesus is the messianic king of the kingdom of God. So that's what's God. That's what God's doing even now. And so with that in mind, now you zoom into Mark chapter 11 and you see what is happening as Jesus rides into Jerusalem. And people understood that when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, uh, he was making a statement. It was time now for the king to bring in his kingdom. It was time for the king to fulfill all the hopes and dreams reaching all the way back to Genesis 3. All of this would now be fulfilled in the coming Of the king, the Messiah, the deliverer, Jesus. And it was time for the king to subdue the nations, which they loved that, right? Because they were under Roman occupation, Roman oppression. So he was going to subdue all his enemies under his feet. 
And it was time for the kingdom of God to be established. But the main question still remained, and that is, what would this look like? You know, we see Jesus coming in, riding on a donkey, entering Jerusalem, making a statement. Uh, but what would this look like once he inaugurates his kingdom, brings in his kingdom? What will it look like? And this is where confusion set into the minds of the people in the first century. And it also tends to uh, confuse us at times as well. See, they believe that Jesus was coming to save them from Roman oppression. So they had a very limited view of the type of kingdom Jesus was actually bringing in. They believed that Jesus was coming to make their lives easier and that God's kingdom would look like it did under King David and King Solomon. In today's terms, Jesus would you know, sit in the Oval Office. He would appoint a political party that would pretty much execute God's agenda in the world. However... What we see happening is that this this mediator, this Messiah, this deliverer, this Jesus had come to do something much greater. He he came to do something uh, that was much more difficult than simply overthrowing the Roman government. And actually was something more long lasting than simply overthrowing some temporary oppressive force. He didn't come just to deal with Caesar, right? He came to deal with sin. He didn't come just to deal with this eternal issue, I mean, the, the temporal issue of Rome, Roman power, but he came to set up an eternal kingdom that would transcend time. He came to fulfill God's plan. Remember, you have to zoom out and you see what God's doing in all of redemptive, redemptive history. He's making a kingdom for himself. That's what he's doing, that's what he's been doing, that's what he is doing, that's what he'll continue to do. And Jesus is the king of that kingdom. So he came to fulfill God's plan to build an eternal kingdom. So Jesus came to do what it would take to validate the faith of those in the past as well as those in the future that were trusting in God to make a way for them to be part of God's kingdom. Jesus was bringing the fulfillment of all of those uh, and all all that, that was anticipated in the Old Testament. And even the fulfillment of what we look back to and look to, okay, what does it mean to be right with God? How can I be right with God? What Jesus was doing that day as he entered Jerusalem was seeking to fulfill and validate and make true what our trust is in. So Jesus even himself said, you know, I came to uh, help the sick, not the healthy. In other words, he came to help those who wanted help. He came to help those who wanted to be with God. If you didn't want to be with God, if you don't want to know God, then you can seek out your own way. But if you want to know God, if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, then Jesus is there for you. All you need to do is cry out to Him. He came for those who who want His help. He came for those who want to see Christ as King and be part of His kingdom. And this leads us to the fourth truth that I think helps us understand this passage. And that is, those who cry out Hosanna will enter the kingdom of God. Those those who cry out Hosanna will enter the kingdom of God. You know, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day on a donkey, 
people placed their coats on the ground and they began to wave palm branches in the air and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. People were actually quoting a psalm uh, that was used during feast time, Psalm 118, 25 and 26. And this is what the psalm says. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the word Hosanna uh, is the equivalent of you and I saying, you know, help, save me. That's what it means. And basically you've taken this, the Hebrew word and you've uh, you know, transliterated it into Greek, which you just basically took the sound of the Hebrew, transliterated it into Greek with the sound. And so it sounds very similar in Hebrew as it does Greek, as it does English. It's basically similar, it's similar in that it's Hosanna. What's the Greek word for Hosanna? Hosanna. And the Hebrew word for Hosanna, it's not quite Hosanna, but it's pretty close. And I'm not going to attempt to say it. Because that may, I may butcher it. But uh, the, the idea of Hosanna is, you know, save us now. And uh, that, that's what it originally meant. But then over the years, people began to use, the people of God began to use Hosanna in a different way. He used to use this phrase in a different way. John Piper says it this way. He says, over the centuries, the phrase Hosanna stopped being a cry for help in the ordinary language of the Jews. Instead, it became a shout of hope and exaltation. It used to mean, save, please. But gradually it came to mean, salvation, salvation, salvation has come. So you see a shift there. And then he explains the difference this way. He says, it used to be what you would say when you fell off the diving board and you couldn't swim. So if you were on the diving board, you fell into the pool and you can't swim, you cry out, Hosanna! Save me, please. In other words, I need some help here, right? He said it, it, it used to be that. That's how it was used at one point. But then it, it changed and it began to be used in a similar but different way. In other words, let's say you fell into the, the swimming pool off the diving board. You can't swim. You need some help. But you see that the lifeguard is diving into the water to save you. So you're like, salvation, salvation has come. Yes, I need help, but I see the helper. He's coming. So I feel a lot better, you know, about this whole situation. Even though I still need some help. I'm floundering here, but the lifeguard's coming. I feel good about this. I see my hope is on the horizon, right? That's what it began to mean. That's, that's what it began to carry, this word Hosanna. So it means hooray for salvation. It's coming. It's here. Salvation, salvation. So if you're a Christian... You've experienced these two types of hosannas, right? Because at some point in your life, you realize things are just not quite right. That you're a sinful person. That you don't do things the way you ought to do them. And, and you're not right with God. And so you may use hosanna in that first sense. Help me. Someone save me. I need some help here. Right? You recognize your sinfulness. You recognize your need for help. But then someone shares with you the gospel. And you hear about Jesus, that He came, He died for our sins on the cross. He was buried, He was raised on the third day. And through His resurrection, He gives you new life. If He becomes King of your life. And He becomes King of your life by faith, that we trust Him, that we submit to His rule and reign in our lives. And so, you hear the good news and then you say, Hosanna! Yes, I need help, but now I see my Helper. 
And so you see the difference in meaning there. And you know, people saw Jesus entering Jerusalem that day, and I believe they were seeing their salvation. They, they saw, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They saw, this is the king, he's coming. Salvation, salvation is here. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so people saw that day, Jesus entering Jerusalem. And what we see is that Jesus came for those who would cry out, Hosanna. Jesus came for those who will cry out, Hosanna. He came for those who both see their need for help and they recognize that He is the helper. And isn't that just the essence of Christianity? Recognizing your need for Christ? I mean, that's what it is. I mean, there is no Christianity without Christ. And so that is the very essence of it, that we need Him. And so it's acknowledging that Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's the King. He's the Deliverer. He's the one that God is using to bring people to Himself. He's the Messiah. He's the Deliverer of God's people. And so, you know, even in this service, uh, you know, we've, we've formed that word several times on our lips already, have we not? Hosanna. We've said it. We've sung it. We've heard it. But the question is, what do you mean by that when you say it? When you say Hosanna, what do you mean when you sing it, when you say it? When you think it. You know, I wonder how many people that day in Jerusalem were crying out Hosanna, asking Jesus to save them from their circumstance, but not save them from their sin. I wonder how many of those people were yelling, you know, save me from my hardship, but don't save me from hell. Separation from God. Or how many were yelling, us, yelling out, you know, save us from political oppression. Rather than saying, save me from not having a relationship with God. How many people were yelling, Hosanna, laying down their cloaks, and they were waving palm branches as they affirmed Jesus' announcement that He is King. But the problem is, once they found out Jesus was dealing with their sin problem, and not primarily with their political problem, some picked their cloaks back up. And just a few days later, like Floyd said, they were yelling, crucify him. You know, if you're like me, it's really easy to lay down your cloak and wave the palm branches when Jesus' agenda lines up with mine. You know, then I'm all about the waving. You know, bring in the palms, you know, laying down the cloak. Yes, he's the king. I'm going to follow him. But then when his agenda tends to bring some tension to my agenda and what I want to do, that's where we have an issue. And the question is, will I submit to Christ as King or will I pick my cloak back up and throw the palms to the side? You know, it's easy to wave palm branches when you're not forced to make a life-changing decision and submit to Christ as King. And so the question really is, as you think about Jesus coming into Jerusalem and establishing the kingdom of God, the question is, where is your citizenship? You know, whose kingdom do you belong to? Whose agenda are you seeking to fulfill and live out? Who's the king? Are you the king? Or the queen? Or is Jesus the king? And have you cried out, Hosanna? 
Have you ever done that? Cried out Hosanna. And what I mean by that is asking Jesus to save you. That He is the Savior. You know, Jesus prepared a way for us to enter His kingdom, to be a part of God's people. He's not forcing Himself on you, but at the same time, He does demand allegiance. He demands submission. Because He's the King. And we must submit to His rule. So what does it mean to lay down your agenda uh, and take up His? Well, we do it by faith. We believe that through what Jesus accomplished on the cross, and we're going to talk more about it this week, and through His resurrection, that we can have this new life in Christ. We can be part of God's kingdom. So it's through faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ as King that we willingly lay down our cloaks to His agenda. We take up palm branches and we praise the the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and we cry out, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, You hear those words even come out of my mouth and You know my heart. You know the hearts of the people here that sometimes it is hard to live out that declaration. Lord, but that's our desire. Lord, we want to live as citizens of heaven, citizens of Your kingdom. Thank You for what You've done for us through Jesus. Thank You that it's all based on what He has done for us, that we are made right with You, that He is the King. He's the one who made the way. And it's only through Him that we know You and we will be with You forever. God, I pray that everybody here can cry out Hosanna and see who they're crying out to. That they recognize they need help, but they see You as their their helper. That Jesus is the King. He is the one. He's the blessed one who comes in the name of the Lord that is setting up Your kingdom forever. Well, thank You for this day that we can remember that moment when Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey and people were laying down their cloaks and waving branches, giving, giving Him the praise He deserves. And I pray that we would do the same, not only with our voices as we sing, but with our lives as we live them out this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.